The Outstanding Society was asked to provide a learning lounge at the residential and home care show held at the XL London in April 2023. We were very lucky to have such amazing panellists throughout the show, which made the sessions not only informative, but also fun. This podcast is a recording of one of our panel discussions. All Together Now, Uniting for Equality. Sanjay Drona and Samantha Crawley look at how to support the integration of stronger, more diverse teams. They are joined by Rob Hargreaves from Skills for Care, Leah Smith from the Barclay Group. had a really great couple of days of some really interesting sessions and we wanted to make sure that we continued that on the last day even after lunch but we're here to talk about equality diversity inclusion and actually bringing a team together and uniting now quite often we believe i'm still stood up aren't i quite often we believe that equality diversity inclusion is all around just the classic things that we all practice every day so inclusiveness around lgbt qia plus Um, because there's a lot of letters and and they're there and they belong and there's a space Um, and more importantly our sector is crying out for new people and really interesting people now what can we do to support the integration of stronger teams diverse teams because being your whole self at work we all know the benefits and being able to deliver a beautiful service to the stakeholders and and service users that we are privileged to care for I think what's really important is as we go into this world of diversity is it doesn't just stop at that the classic inclusiveness we've got BAME we've got um, neurodiversity and Leah will be telling us about that shortly and the work that she's done in her homes around that but what's fascinating is it's a very it's a complex minefield of where do we stop thinking that diversity starts in adult social care is diversity having men in your team because adult social care is very focused around having a lot of women in our team so is diversity actually including men in this case is diversity making sure that we account for people that work with us um if they're going through menopause or going through different elements of of uh, of their own physiology so what and where does diversity start and stop and the answer is it doesn't so I've got Sam, I've got Rob, and I've got Leah with me, and I'll allow each of them to introduce themselves and then we'll dive in. Sam. Hi everyone, I'm Samantha. I'm one of the directors of the Outstanding Society and CEO of Bracebridge Care. Hi everyone, I'm Rob Hargreaves. I'm Information Service Manager at Skills for Care, and we uh, provide a range of different resources around us. Hi everybody, my name is Leah. I'm the Chief People Officer for Barclay Care. Um, We operate 12 uh, residential homes for elderly people across the UK at present. Don't undersell yourself. Tell us at Barclay Care because they've also got a full five-star home. Well, we have two. (gasps) We we have two two outstanding homes. Um, All of our other care homes are rated good and a number of those good care homes have outstanding in them, just not overall. So yeah. So, so that's why and we really thank Leah for getting involved because um, she could be in France enjoying a very glamorous uh, board meeting in Paris. Nothing glamorous about board <laughs> meetings in Paris, I tell you. So thank you for coming and joining us at the Outstanding Society. We really appreciate that. So, um, Sam, tell me about your approach at Bracebridge about building diverse teams. Mainly why, 
we all know why diversity is important. We're la this is a very labored point. So what is the difference in your approach and how does that help you achieve outstanding in your service delivery? You're right. Everybody talks diversity, but do we walk that talk? That's the question, isn't it? And, and whether or not people can actually recognize themselves in everything that we are as well as everything that we do. So when we were setting up this company, um, my thinking was I was quite, um, I'm Irish, I grew up with, with a father and mum who kind of went through a lot of issues about being Irish in London. There were signs on doors, as a lot of people know, we weren't welcome everywhere. And so I kind of understood it from one angle, but that doesn't mean I understand it from anybody else's shoes. And I think that that's the thing, we can't assume that we know how another person or another life is being lived, regardless of how we have lived. So when we set this up, we wanted to look at how can we really, really be champions of EDI. And so I contacted a, a, an organization called Stonewall, um, who are a human rights organization, and actually working with them really threw a lot of questions to me actually around, did I really know much at all? <laughs> so I think that, that was a, that's been quite amazing. And I think the key has been um, for everything that we've done is can people actually see themselves in our websites, in our brochures, in everything? Because for me, this wasn't just about attracting team members from a diverse population. It was also around older people, who uh, we look after older people in our care homes, are they seeing themselves on our website? So making decisions about pictures of same-sex couples who are 80, making decisions about putting, that, putting people on the website so that people could see themselves before they even spoke to us was kind of starting to open that door. So it's about everything. It's about people being seen and people knowing actually you are welcome and not everybody who moves into care homes is over 70 white and a male female couple because that isn't a true reflection of our lives. And so we've gone overboard on everything to really show that that is not typical and that you are represented whether you live with us or work with us. Thank you. Leah, talk to us about all of the exciting work that you're doing at Barclay Care because it, even when I know that when um, Andrew told me about it, I was like, oh, oh, okay. I've never even thought or considered it. And then he was like, you don't need me. You need Leah to come and tell you. So now we're hearing it from you. Go on. So um, it's very hard to uh, talk about this in the very short amount of time that we have. Tough. So uh, it is tough, <laughs> uh, but equally I'm happy to talk about it afterwards as well. Um, I think for, for, for me in terms of um, equality, diversity and inclusion, I came from a standpoint of actually inclusion is, is the, the area that we really need to work on. And actually diversity and, and equality is an outcome of an inclusive workplace culture. So that's my starting point. Um, we specifically have focused on neurodiversity. So neurodiversity, for those of you um, that, that may not be aware, it's a buzzword at the moment, but it's basically people who think differently. It might be people who are on the autistic spectrum, who have ADHD, um, people who have dyslexia, um, dyscalculate, dyscalculia, um, Tourette's for example, there are many, many different things um, that can be counted or included within the term neurodiverse. 
And if I'm honest, I came at this from a recruitment angle, not a, not a quality angle. I came at it from, we know globally, around 15 to 20% of uh, the population are neurodiverse. They may not be diagnosed, but that, that is the, the statistic we have. We also know that there's a 30 to 40% unemployment rate for people who are neurodiverse. And we know that there's many, many barriers, not only within work, but within education around um, neurodiverse individuals. So my stance was to try to solve the recruitment crisis, because if we attract just 1% more neurodiverse individuals into the care sector, we would fill all of the vacancies that Skills for Care tell us we have across the sector. So that was my starting point. And obviously, the, 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 the project has massive, massive impact upon our inclusivity uh, and our culture that, that we are developing. So there's many, many different things that we have done, um, and it's, it's, it, it, there's so many things that I can tell you about, but if we just take recruitment for one, um, trying to attract more neurodiverse individuals into social care, um, if you take things like adverts, how we advertise, words matter. So to Sanjay's point about um, females and males, um, when you really look at adverts in social care, we tend to use more female coded words care, empathetic, compassion. There's very little male-coded words, and male-coded words are things like independence, um, analyze, challenge. So a very, very small tweak can be really looking at our adverts and the language that we use. So if we do want to attract more men, we need to use more male-coded words. These are unconscious things that people think about and process. Job descriptions. We need to be specific with what we're actually looking at. So we have made so many mistakes um, through, through uh, this project. Our job descriptions were two pages long. They're now half a page long. What is it actually that we really need? If you're honest, how many people have things like need to have good communication skills, need to communicate at all levels? What does that mean? For a neurodiverse individual, that can be really off-putting because a neurodiverse individual may be really, really good at recording information. They may write the best care plans you've ever seen in your life, but they may struggle with eye contact. Actually, what's that going to impact in terms of going to an interview? You're not going to recruit that person because they can't make eye contact with you. So all of these things are things that we look at. Um, interview questions. Uh, we've started actually giving our employee or applicants the interview questions in advance. Ooh, that was, a, that was a bit of a hurdle that we had to come over within the organization. We can't possibly do that. Everybody's going to cheat. They're all going to know what they're doing. Um, it's absolutely the opposite. How many of us don't perform well in an interview, but actually make the best care assistants or, or the best nurses? Equally, how many of us might perform really well in an interview, but maybe don't perform actually in real life? In, in, in the job that we're doing. So by giving people interview questions, A, we're really supporting people who are neurodiverse to prepare, to break down barriers, but we're also giving them the opportunity to um, show us their best. And that's what um, it's all about. So there's some very, very small things just around those initial um, attraction points that we are working on to attract more neurodiverse individuals 
um, into the workplace. And what that needs actually is it needs buy-in from your leaders. You need to include um, equality, diversity and inclusion in your business strategy. There's a business case for this, massive business case. Um, you need the leadership capability. So you need to have inclusive leaders that are within your business who will challenge, um, have uncomfortable conversations and actually show their vulnerability. Sometimes conversations around EDI are things that um, people are worried that they might, that they don't know how to start a conversation or they don't know what to say. And actually that's part of being an inclusive leader is it's knowing that, but it's having those conversations anyway and showing your vulnerability. So that leadership aspect is something that we've been really focusing on as well. So I, I know that when we spoke, there was a really interesting case study that you, you told me about. Now I'm going to put that on ice just for a second because I know that Sam had something quite interesting on, on your learnings in this. Yeah, I didn't, I, you don't know what you don't know until somebody tells you. And I've, you know, so every day is a bit of a, oh, I didn't know that. So when we were building our websites, both our career websites and our, um, the other websites, I didn't know there's actually a program you can buy to make your website friendly to people who've got ADHD and ADD, etc. I didn't know that. I didn't know. Who knew? I didn't know. But we have that, so that makes it much easier for people who have got challenges around looking at that. And the other thing, you're talking about recruitment, and so with us, we don't do an interview first at all. We do nice group assessment centers but in a different way and the only thing that we're evaluating is people's emotional intelligence if your emotional intelligence is high then you get pulled through to a one-to-one -one interview which feels quite informal at that point because you've spent some time you've laughed you've joked you've done a lot of things so we get the real people so actually in the in the first assessment center that we did some of the team thought I was a bit insane, to be fair, because we had one, we, in, in the assessment center, every, everyone's sitting down, somebody walks in the room and trips, and what we're watching for is how do people respond to that? So do people laugh? Do they giggle? Do they get up to help? Do they feel for that person? We're watching that response, not what's happening elsewhere. So, and I think the team thought this woman is completely insane. Like this, you know. But actually after the first one, they said, oh my God, the people that would have got through on a one-to-one -one interview were absolutely not the right people to work in our care space. Mm -hmm. So I think thinking about emotional intelligence and so therefore not putting people who find one-on-one -on -one interviews quite intimidating in a position makes a whole lot of difference. And actually we've got really emotional intelligent human beings who have all kinds of quirks. We've got one person who, uh, when we when we were speaking to him, he's got real challenges around particular learning. But actually, oh my God, would my mommy have a great time with this person? So he's working with us and we'll find a way to get him to work with us. Without those assessment centers, he never would have got through. So I think that that is something to really consider as you move forward. So that case study, uh, Rob, I'm going to come to you for the skills for care point of view in a second because I want to I want to tie this into Leah's um, experience of how you identified somebody's diversity and actually understood that person rather than sacrificing them. 
Yeah, so um, we've been doing this project for nine months now. It's actually a three-year project. Part of the initial project was um, we, we worked with a guy called Theo Smith. So if you're interested in neurodiversity, look up Theo Smith. Uh, he's a very well-known guy and actually has worked in care sector for a long time. So Theo did um, for us a survey. He also did over 150 interviews with our team members. And what we found is 10% of our workforce have a diagnosis of some form of neurodiversity. A further 20% of our workforce identify as having some neurodiverse traits. And importantly, 40% of our workforce have family members who are neurodiverse. So this impacts a huge, huge number of people. And it's a very silent majority. Very silent you majority. Do not, people do not address this within the workplace very easily. No. And and the, the other statistics that's come from that is 30% of our workforce, when we started this project, masked at work i.e. they weren't bringing their true selves or they were hiding an aspect of themselves around neurodiversity. So this is really, really important stuff. Um, so uh, we, we've started this project and one of the examples that I explained to Sanjay was um, we had um, a young gentleman um, that we'd recruited, um, not via actually an interview, but we do taster days as well. So we'd identified um, uh, that he hadn't worked in care before, so we do a taster day so we could observe him and he could understand what the role looked like. Um, and basically this young gentleman was that the manager was getting a lot of complaints from the team. Uh, he was lazy, he was not pulling his weight. Uh, they constantly found him um, in a quiet area looking out the window. Um, and there were some negative connotations around this. Now previously, what would probably have happened is that we would, would have, have had some conversations, but realistically, we might have ended this gentleman's probation because the issues were quite significant. Because of the project that we're doing, um, we had identified, the manager had identified, actually, this individual has some neurodiverse traits. Had a really open and honest conversation with him and he had um, explained that he, had, uh, he was on the autistic spectrum, uh, he also had bipolar um, and from that what we did is that we did something called a spiky profile um, and this is um, a, a, a very easy quick assessment which identifies somebody's strengths who are neurodiverse. Um, we also identified that the reason this gentleman was um, uh, stopping frequently, looking outside the window, is that he was given tasks in handover, i.e. could you support Mr. Jones and Mr. Smith and so on and so forth. Um, but he couldn't process that much information at the same time. So we did some really, really simple things around. We changed the way that the, the nurse on shift um, gave him instructions. He needed instructions, but he had one at a time. Um, he also had a notepad so he could write things down. He had more regular check-in sessions. When it came to writing up care plans, he was really struggling with some of the noises um, within the home, and so they made sure that he had quiet area. He could go and um, write up his care plans. Now, this gentleman is an absolutely fantastic, fantastic person. Um, the empathy, the kindness that he shows, it's exactly what we want only because we're able to identify that this gentleman had some neurodiverse traits and also put some things in place to support him, did we not only keep him, but he is an absolutely phenomenal member of our team now. 
and we may have lost him if we hadn't have had this awareness raising uh, that we had previously. So it's one example, but that impact um, that you not only have on that individual, that impacts the team who um, are more open-minded, they're more inclusive, they're more thoughtful. It also impacts them in terms of their families. So one thing that you do can resonate and can impact not only other people professionally, but also personally. Brilliant, thank you so much. Rob, from a skills for care perspective, what and how do we do how do we do diversity, equality and inclusion well? Or why? And when? When well I think I think in some respects, I mean skills care works with the Outstanding Society primarily to share good and best practice really out there. Um, and I think one of the things that we know that CQC with their new inspection model, the single assessment framework is going to be looking at now is um, treating people as individuals within the, the, the caring, that's one of their new quality statements and also workforce yeah. equality, diversity, inclusion which is part of well-led uh, from when they start inspection um, on these subjects later this year. So you do really need to be prepared around these new areas of, of CQC inspection, really demonstrate what you're doing. And we were speaking to a registered manager about six months or so ago, relatively new to the service that she was ta taking on. Um, and she basically said, um, some of the people who use my service are openly racist. And she said, but what worries me more, some of my staff are racist. And I think the, the challenge that we've got is, you know, how do, how do we, through value-based recruitment and effective recruitment practices, address that? How do we address it effectively through training and having conversations? And this isn't about getting an e-learning package and refreshing people annually about equality and diversity. This is about basically looking for training that's relevant and, and, and addresses all the issues and, and gives exposure to all the... Um, uh, diverse needs of the people that you support and the people that you may be supporting in the future as more diverse people come and use use your service so it's an it's about conversations it's about one-to-one -one and team meeting discussions about these subject matters it's about avoiding that off-the-shelf learning or if you're using it building upon it and so this training thing i think is fantastic because what we do at the close is we've changed the way that we do our training so yes, we have our online training, and that's a very, that's the first stage. This is not, um, what do you call it, locked and loaded. And I hate it when people say, what's your training scheme? And they're like, yeah, we've got it online early. That's not enough. Stop that. <laughs> it's just not good enough. It basically gets you to mandatory requirements. What we do then is you've got your class-based learning that happens inside. We've got our experiential learning that we use for our team members. But the exciting one that we do now is our round tables. Now we use this specifically around diversity, equality and inclusion. Now, what we've developed is this understanding that, okay, fine, my, nicely, my team are lucky. They've got a gay brown leader. So I've ticked two boxes already. So that's fine. But, and I can talk about this in a way, but what we do is, Every single one of us has been to a fancy uh, work, um, what is it called? Workshop or a round table. And you go in and what happens? There's a coffee, there's sandwiches, there's biscuits, there's all of this, right? It's a formal process that we're used to as leaders in our business. Now, a lot of the time, if you're a carer or someone in the kitchen team or laundry or housekeeping, your training's done in that very warm, always warm cinema room. 
right? And you get, and you start to shut off because it's comfortable, the chairs are, so training is, is very passive. You're told something and then occasionally you might be asked a question to check your competencies. We flipped it on its head. We now do these round table sessions where it's led by one of the leaders of the business. We invite a mix of people from across the floor. Now we have five different units plus our ancillary services. So we have about eight people in the room because we're only taking one. And these are about 45 minute sessions. So we're not going for a two hour or an all day training program. We're not a minefield of information. Once we've done that, we, we make it very clear that this is a Chatham House rules apply, which means that they can say anything that they want to and it's not going to be held against them. This is an open forum for learning and development and education um, and discussion. And it doesn't mean that you're going to get in trouble if your views don't necessarily 100% fit with what we're doing. It's about you being able to ask me a question. So we find that our people weren't very comfortable around that whole LGBTQ plus understanding. Why was that? We had a lot of team members that had just come from India. We had a lot of team members that had just come from Africa. And we had a lot of team members that had come to us from Central Europe. Now this mix of hyper-Catholic views and all maybe slightly different ways of thinking meant that they weren't comfortable discussing it or talking about it. They knew what we had to do and the rules but they didn't know their ways in and around it. So we gave them a comfortable space around eight of us to discuss what does it mean or who goes in to provide care to a resident that identifies as LGBT. And then we started to work out that actually that whole understanding of trans rights and trans issues wasn't very well understood. So we developed a community. Now what happened is people left that session after 45 minutes knowing that they didn't say anything wrong. They learned. And it was allowed if you had made a mistake. And I said, listen, I'm a number of those letters on that you've got that we've just said. However, I still get confused and I will misgender somebody by mistake. I will take these opportunities to learn. So you tell me what you know. And through that, we found out that people have had experiences. Guess what? Outside of work because they've got another 160 hours outside of work as well. Do you know what I mean? So we learned all of these things and people felt reassured that we had treated them as professionals. So often we don't train our people as professionals. We train them as sheep or passive passive people that they're, they're just given information. This was a chance that they got to be very much involved in the training. So that was an example that we've used. And Sam, what you've got some great things on. I think... Um you, you, listen, you just said it there, we will make mistakes. And I think the, the, it, the issue with a lot of this is, is that we want to be politically correct and we don't have a clue how to be sometimes. We don't have the language, we don't, ha we don't understand. So I think it's perfectly right and proper that we have, you know, we talk about professional curiosity, don't we, in care? Mm. But actually just curiosity, you know, curiosity is good, you know? And if, if, if I ask you, how would you like to be referred to? That is okay, rather than trying to guess, you well, know what I mean? Well, strictly speaking, it's not like. Well, it, I know, but, no, but, it's, but that's the point though, yeah. isn't it? No, my point is that I can, I can ask that. Yeah. And I'm not trying to, to 
to be horrible to you, I might not say the right thing, yeah. but that's okay. The, the intention is correct. The, exactly. So assuming best intentions of everybody is the key. I've bang on about this a lot. Well, we talked about it yesterday yes, when you're investigating yeah. so, concerns. So assuming the best intentions. So then if I get it wrong, I'm okay for you to say, well, actually, that's not the way you should refer to me. This is the way you should refer to me. And this is the way. And that's good too. But have that open and honest dialogue you know that it's safe to do so and your point about safety is key for everybody and I think language has a huge amount to do with everything I mean we talk about different learning styles and we talk about over oh, run out of time I'm talking too much again and um, but I think that I think I just if there's one thing I'm going to say is is that we have people who live in our care homes and we have people who work in our care homes and that's all they're called we don't differentiate. Mm -hmm. So we don't have staff, we don't have residents, we don't have service users, we have people with people, which means we have equality and equity there at the very start. And I think sometimes in care, there's an awful lot of labeling of different people and different things. And actually, why don't we just talk about people? Because ultimately that's what we're here for. There's a lot of box ticking that goes on, isn't it? It's just, you've got to differentiate between what you need to do to meet your regulatory requirements and what you want to do as part of your values, your ethics and your business process, because those are all choices. Nothing, nothing is set actually bar the mandatory, um, but it's actually how you choose to action them in a way that helps you become more attractive and the best thing is it's more attractive to your residents and more attractive to your team members and it's that people in that circle of care that you build because I am stealing without any shame all of Leah's ideas I'm taking them and I hope you don't mind and I know that I know that Zoe's They're there free. Zoe's back there going we need Leah to write an article for the <laughs> OS pages and we've got a question I saw a message um, from somebody from a care manager that said would you or do you go out with your um, colleagues or not where was the line drawn do you socialize or uh, not then yes. i think that might break yes. down some people, barriers but people it's people. just yeah i a lot there, there's a lot i'm not having people that i work with at my party for example however we go out very much so and actually it's that holistic idea we hire the whole person don't we so it's quite often that it's what do we know, what do we want to do? And actually we use a lot of it as sideways training. But they also work with you as a manager and you're yeah. not just a manager, you're a person, person. as well. Exactly. exactly. I was having a coaching conversation with a guy the other night, just really quickly, I know we're over time, um, in a different industry, but he was having a bit of problems. And he said that he, he, the amount of people he manages has gone up exponentially over the last little while and it all feels a bit overwhelming. And I said to him, just remember we lead people. So people means knowing that Alan, one of the managers, his guy, has a son who plays football. And on a Saturday morning, don't call him because he's at the side of the pitch. And that's what really matters. So we have to know people. And I want to know all of that about all, everybody because we're not you people that come into work and put up a mask. We need to take the mask off, be real, and talk about people and that's it. There's actually one really good one. We've got a, um, a nurse that works for our service. We're holding her wedding in our garden at the close. And that's not because, that's A, from an affordability point of view, I know what, I know what 
they want to be able to do so we're like great we'll do it and she's like actually I want all these residents to come and great and I was like well you just stole that because I want to get married at my own nursing home because it's sick like our space is amazing so absolutely we've got one more question we got married at our nursing home. Yeah. We had the residents there. They were involved in absolutely everything. Just last week, One right? of our residents actually did a, a speech as well. Yeah. It was amazing. It's about that ability to bring everyone together, knowing that very much we're all on a level. and Because we apply so much of our learning and experiences to our residents. We just have to remember that, as Sam keeps saying, our people actually goes way beyond our residents. They're the stakeholders that come into our building. There are suppliers that we work with and that we that we give work to. So we have a holistic responsibility to look 360. So our new term at the close is a circle of care. We don't call them stakeholders anymore or residents. We, we, we surround our MDT process as the circle of care. And it's a really simple way to get people to think outside of the box because it's round. Um, on that note, I just want to say thank you to Leah, Rob and Samantha for joining us today. So thank you very much. The Outstanding Society is a community interest company. It's free to join and is open to everyone. You don't need to have an outstanding rating to be a member.